welcome to the podcast, Two Ladies in the Kingdom. Um, I am Sylvie, I live in Patia, and my blog is Eight Limbs Us, and uh, this is Emma. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emma, living in Bangkok, and my blog is undertheropes.com. And uh, we are female fighters uh, from the West in Thailand. So, um, Two Ladies in the Kingdom is sponsored by Loblo. This is the female groin guard. Um, and it is awesome. Emma and I both use it. We are big fans. Uh, and they also have male grind guards as well, so you can go check that out on their site. And uh, we will give you a promo code at the end of this podcast of how you can get a discount to buy a low blow, male or female. So that's good. <laughs> um, so Emma, what's going on with you at the moment? Um, a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um. For anyone who doesn't follow my blog, I had a fight last week and it was a crazy experience because uh, my trainers, nobody from my gym actually turned up. So <laughs> I ended up uh, fighting without a corner. Luckily, uh, my boyfriend too stepped in and did that for me. But uh, as a result of that, I'm no longer with my gym. Um, I'm now kind of between gyms, experimenting with new places. So. Yeah, that's what's going on with me. I'm kind of in a transition period right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, difficulty of even just communicating about something like that with your gym? Um, communication in general in Thailand is really, really difficult. And I don't mean like in a, in a, like a language barrier kind <laughs> of way. I just mean everything is so inefficient. <laughs> um, Without going into too much detail, that the, the, the reason for people not turning up seemed to be we know where it was, so we didn't find out where it was, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we thought somebody else was going. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody thought somebody else was going, and in the end nobody was going, and it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> nobody actually asked me. So that was really, really difficult. Um, everybody's apologized to me for it and everything, but at the moment I don't really, I, I just don't really feel like I want, want to train with them. Anymore. So mm. I'm looking at new options right now. Um, as someone who's lived in Thailand for such a long time, it's a very different process you looking for gyms than someone who's, you know, just touched down in Bangkok looking for gyms. So how are you going about it? It's really hard for me mainly because I, I work, so I can't, a, I don't have the time to just be jumping around to different gyms all the time and get where I find it needs to be somewhere that's realistically I can get to every day. Um, Cost-wise and time-wise with being able to get to work in the evening. So I live like on the outside of Bangkok really. So um, I'm quite far from most of the gyms, but there are a few on the outside that I'm looking into. And if they don't, if they don't work out, then I'll just have to make a sacrifice and <laughs> Have a have a long commute every day. I'm yeah. thinking about um, getting a bicycle and going around that way, which is not the safest way to get around Bangkok at all. But it would definitely be the cheapest. So <laughs> that's no option. Why would you get a a bike over like a motorbike just for cost? Uh, yeah, and also I'm kind of a pussy, and I'm scared of driving a motorbike in Bangkok because people drive like maniacs here. But they still drive that way if you're on a bicycle. <laughs> I know, but I just I. I just don't want to drive a motorbike. Maybe yeah. it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love my motorbike. Uh, it totally... I didn't have it for the first year that we were in Chiang Mai, and then we got one, um, and it just totally opened up 
everything. It's very different driving in Chiang Mai versus in Bangkok. I totally understand. Um, yeah. And if I had not become acquainted with driving a motorbike up in Chiang Mai first, I think that I would have been really intimidated by Pattaya because um, traffic here is just really intense. But now I'm totally like driving on the sidewalks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along with everyone else. Um, yeah. Lots of people are like, how have you been living in Thailand for five years and you don't drive a motorbike? But in, in Bangkok, you really don't need to because yeah. there's great public transport everywhere. Yeah. But it's and the so same thing as, like, people who live in New York, you end up being, like, in this really small area that you just don't go outside of, really. Yeah. And it's, people think that, like, cities are this, like, big, expansive, you have all these things to do, but you end up just staying in smaller and smaller <laughs> radius <laughs> of where you need to be. So it's, it's difficult if you can't really get around. I mean, you can't yeah. get around, but the commute is hard. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at getting a bicycle only because uh, some of the gyms on on the outskirts they're not really accessible by by the by the sky train, and it would just cost a little bit too much to take a motorbike taxi every day, and it would just I just would be easier, and it's not right in the city, so it all depends which gym I end up with. Yeah, there's definitely the the difference between when you already live here and have where you live, where you work, and things set up, and then your gym has to accommodate all of those things, whereas when you're first coming here, it's like, find out where you want to be first, and then you find, you know, something to go with it. It's a lot, it's a lot easier the other direction. Yeah. Um, in, on the note of communication, <laughs> communicating <laughs> in Thailand that can be very difficult, um, I, uh, I had this experience this, this past week so I guess last week, um, where I was having a really hard time because we're, we're all getting ready for kind of a big fight card this Friday. Um, and like 10 kids from my gym are all fighting on that card as well as me. Um, and I'm a little bit emotional because I haven't fought in over a month now. Um, I was having a really hard time in May finding a fight. Um, I now have some lined up for June. Um, but it seemed like it was just kind of a dry spell in general for uh, female fighters, especially in May. Um, but so I was a little bit emotional because I didn't have any fights, uh, and I was getting frustrated because I wasn't training with the boys in a group the way that I normally do. So one, it was different, but on top of that, um, I was totally being left out. So they all trained together in a group, and then I was either training after them, uh, and they would come back in and work with me, or I was just going with different people in general, and I had to like muster up the courage to ask he knew why this was happening and I was very paranoid that it was because I'm a woman and he was trying to keep me away from the boys because they have a fight coming and <laughs> the way that I finally like trudged up the courage and just blurted it out to him while almost on the verge of tears before he even answered me was like such a keen expression of how hard it is to confront things in Thailand um, you always kind of have to talk around things and you don't want to embarrass anybody um, you certainly don't want to embarrass yourself, um, and it's just very difficult to uh, talk about things straight on, I guess. Um, and in that example, it actually turned out really well. He was just like, no, you're just too small, and because the boys are getting ready for a fight, they're going 100%, and I don't want them to hurt you, so I'm just tiring them out first. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh -huh. that, that ended up being best-case scenario right there, um, but it... But you've already, like, built it up so much in your mind and already got upset about it. Oh my god, Emma, I was, like, for, like, three days, I would be, like, sitting, I'd be on the bag, like, doing my bag work, watching the boys train, and just be, like, mad. <laughs> just, like, 
that guy who like cries into his beer at the bar that was me like <laughs> sobbing into the bag just like so angry uh and then it you know it could have been resolved if i had just thought about it first um but i'm glad i'm glad that i can talk to pinu like that i think it's partially because i've been there um for two years now um mm -hmm. But also, maybe as a result of that, I finally got my name put on the fight board. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which uh, I wrote a, a blog post about and I was very excited about because I've, I've never been on it and I've been at the gym for two years and, and Pinu actually like asked my permission to put me on the board first, which was really uh, mm. an emotional moment for me and I was, I was really excited about it. Um, but so that's what's going on with me at the moment is like <laughs> this like emotional roller coaster of uh feeling like i'm all pent up and like just needing to uh express this frustration and then it actually having these like really beautiful outcomes um so hopefully these fights that i have coming up in june will actually come through um easily um and i can get back onto my system of fighting more frequently because i'm kind of a jerk like when i <laughs> I don't have fights. I'm kind of a dick, so... You gonna take it out on other people? Maybe. I think I just get very, like, uh, emotionally pent up about it. Um, but this fight, this Friday I'm fighting Fa Cheng Rai again, who, mm -hmm. uh, this year, this will be our fifth fight together. Um, which is, uh, it's cool because she's a really, really good fighter, and each fight has actually been closer than the last, so it is still a challenge to, to try to, um fight her over and over again um, but it's also the result of people not really wanting to fight me um, so I'm having a hard I was having a hard time finding fights and I was talking to my old gym up in Chiang Mai and I'm like just give me someone bigger right like just just give me yeah. a big weight disadvantage and uh, and they still wouldn't do it and um, I think part of the thing is that I'm I'm at a reputation level and like where I'm fighting and things like this that there kind of has to be a side bet uh, for my fights, and I'm willing to take a weight disadvantage in order to get the fight, but then people aren't as willing to put money on the fight if there's a weight disadvantage, so yeah. um, it's kind of this, like, trying to figure out the next stage of, like, fighting the way that I'm fighting in Thailand, so um, it's, it's interesting because it's a learning curve, um, but it's also, uh, it's also resulting in me, um, fighting the same person five times in, in six months, but that's good. That's she it. must be so geared up to, to beat you, though. I think her gym, like, really, really just wants to win once and then tell me to fuck off for, like... And then fight you <laughs> again, yeah. <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> totally. Uh, so, you know, doing my best to not let that happen. Yeah. Uh, that should be good. Yeah. It's funny what you were saying before about, like, not not being comfortable with like confrontation and like having to build yourself up to go and talk to Pinu about like why you weren't training with with the boys like I've had the same thing about about my fight last week like I was so mad I was so mad about the whole experience I didn't go to the gym for a week because I did not want to see any of them like I didn't even want to see their faces I was so mad <laughs> and I thought if I try and talk to them I will just cry yeah. And then I'll embarrass myself, and then it will just be terrible. <laughs> so uh, I was working out by myself, and this week I've been going back to the gym, but not not to train with them. I've been <clears throat> going outside training, um, but 
I, I still feel really like awkward about having to talk to any of them about it. Because, I mean, in Thailand, people don't like confrontation at all, yeah. either. So they're, they're just kind of, in, a, in an uncomfortable situation, people will often just blank you. Right. <laughs> um, so it makes it difficult to deal with sometimes, too. Or easier if you hate confrontation. Then you can just avoid <laughs> it. But I, I do have to have that conversation at some point, you know. I, I don't want to just be a dick and just never talk to any of them about it and never go back to the gym. But I, I do want to be able to have a conversation with them and let them know why I don't want to train there anymore. Mm. But uh, I'm still building myself up for that. Let's work out and see how it goes. It's <laughs> difficult. You've been there for a long time and, and you've had incredibly positive experiences by and large there as well. So it's actually, it's it's not a similarity to, uh, you know, a friendship that's broken or like a family relationship that you like can't see your cousin anymore because yeah. they pissed you off or something. It's not like that. It is that. It's very difficult to have relationships kind of bend like that. Um, oh, so, okay. <laughs> um, so do you wanna, do you wanna talk about the um, IFMAs going on at the moment? We can do. Yeah, I haven't been able to watch um, Cao Sing's second fight. I only watched a fight with Leah. Yeah, sure. So, what was your what was your take on the fight with Leah? Because you watched it without sound, which makes it much more, much less entertaining. Because those guys are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in a restaurant when I was watching it, so I didn't want to put the sound on. Um, from from what I saw, um, was as someone who's trained with Leah quite a lot, it was no surprise at all for me to see her like going in for the clinch all the mm -hmm. time because she is always clinching and using like hip throws yeah and I don't actually know if they're legal in the IFMAs uh, when when I clinched with her a lot of what she did was not legal <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> I know training, it's so. general Muay Thai rules that it's not legal but I don't know how the rules differ in the yeah. IFMAs yeah um, but it, uh, it seemed like uh, in the first round Salsing kinda got frustrated mm -hmm. Um, with how much she was grabbing, because Leah actually threw her a little bit in the f in in the first half of the fight, mm -hmm. but then it kind of just switched in the second half, and it, it was like every time Leah went in, she she got kicked on the way in, yeah. and then there was clinching, and then somebody got thrown or it got split up, and yeah. it was just that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I think that the the referee, I think for that fight. Uh, must come from amateur boxing or something. The way that she breaks constantly and imposes herself. And it made me think that it's interesting um, that the IFMA and the organization in general is so huge and they call people from all around the world, um, train them and then have them be referees for these international fights. Um, and it's something that in the US they talk about a lot for MMA is that MMA is so young, the officials that they have are not coming from an MMA background, right? So they're judging based on whatever their background is, whether that's boxing or wrestling or whatever the thing is. Um, and in this kind of international setting of the world championships, I think it's interesting um, to see differences in how people understand fighting, scoring, refereeing, all of these different things. Um, because when watching the video with all of the male Thai national team talking at the same time, you can hear them not understanding what the ref is doing or not understanding why the score is going the way that it's going. and 
Um, I myself have a hard time understanding the rules, which I've, you know, looked at a little bit, and they're, they're kind of written a little bit vague. Um, but I think that there's this, this thing that when people from the West come to Thailand with the rules and the way that things are scored that they're familiar with, and they come to Thailand and um, it's scored and viewed differently, and they're like, I totally peppered her with low kicks and punches. Why did I not win that fight? And then ties go to, you know, a different kind of scoring, and they're like, I hit her with middle kicks the entire time. Why did I not win? And it's this total, like, miscommunication of what the way you look at a fight, like, how that works. So um, it's been kind of interesting for me watching these videos, which is cool that because it's on Facebook, you can actually watch the live feed. Like, Sassing yeah. is filming them live. So um, cool. It's a little bit odd because they're all just in the stands, so it's like you're like watching. It's really far away, yeah. That's yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you you posted yesterday about it was interesting how um, seeing the the time fighters with all this padding on changes the way so they look. It's so weird, Emma. Like seeing Pet Boon Chu, who is this incredible stadium fighter, um, in like headgear, shin guards, elbow pads, and a shirt, which is kind of mm. weird. Um, but it just like, just the impression of the way bodies interact, um, and they're doing Muay Thai, but it just, it does not look like Thailand Muay Thai, like, at all. It's so strange. Um, and there's definitely, uh, I think because they have this, like, mandated aggression, um, like, they do not want you backing up in IFMA scoring, it's this kind of, like, you saw that a lot in the Sao Sing and Leah fight. Yeah. Um, of just this, like, constant clash. And apparently takedowns without a strike don't really score, so I don't have any idea how they were scoring, like, 80% of that South Sing Leah fight. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how did, how did uh, South Sing's second fight go? Um, that one was uh, a perfect example of Thailand scoring versus international scoring in that... Um, in Thailand, there's a gradation of what uh, what scores highly and what doesn't really score highly. So, like, a kick to the middle scores much higher than a punch that doesn't really affect someone. Um, and so, uh, Patricia Axling is the Swedish woman who Sao Sing was fighting. And she basically did, like, a 1-2, one, 1-2, two, one, two just endlessly, which in round two was just hitting Sao Sing in the face, like, every four seconds. <laughs> Um, and Sao Sing was doing, you know, more of a uh, versatile mid-kick, um, a few knees, this kind of thing. Um, so if you count all of those evenly, Sao Sing was getting hit a lot. Um, if you don't count them evenly, like, I think that if you were watching that same fight in Thailand, uh, Sao Sing could have pulled it out in the last round, um, which is what her team felt. They, um, they didn't think that that was a justified result in that fight, so... Um, They've, they've been very diplomatic about it, actually, in the way that they're talking about it online. Um, but she was very, very disappointed by that. Um, uh, so this time we're going to be trying something a little bit different. Uh, for the past few podcasts, Emma and I have been talking about uh, recent fights that have been going on and fight uh, promotions and cards and things like that. But there's uh, not necessarily a way for people to see those fights, um, and people may not know really who we're talking about all the time. So we're trying something a little bit different this time, um, and we're going to talk about uh, two fighters as kind of like a highlight 
or a bio of those two fighters. So we're going to talk about Thailand's Saosing Sor Sopit, who is currently at Sweden's IFMAs. Um, and Emma is going to talk about Dakota. Is it? Dicheva. Dicheva. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> cool name. Um, and she's also at the IFMAs, but she is a fighter from the UK. So uh, we'll highlight those two fighters. Maybe that's a good segue to talk about Saosing in... Uh, this kind of position she occupies as a female fighter is really interesting. This is um, her her second time back that I'm aware of, um, like her third fight, but her second attempt at fighting back from having a baby. Um, so she took a year off and had her son, whose name is uh, Winner, which is so cute. Um, and she was a fighter. Um, for many, many years before getting married and having her baby, and now she's making a comeback, which is a little bit amazing because she's 20 years old, which is kind of old um, for female Muay Thai fighters in Thailand, which is crazy because that's so young by, like, a global standard. Yeah. Um, but it's cool that she's making a comeback at all. A lot of people, a lot of women retire um, to have babies or get married or, or go to college or whatever these things are. Um, and Sao Sing started fighting when she was nine years old. So at 20, she's already been doing this for the majority of her life. Um, and she had a really successful career um, from nine to when she got married. She was in all of these like huge tournaments. She's um, a world champion in both WPMF and WMC. Um, and she kind of had this reputation that isn't quite on par with, but is similar to Petji Ja as this, like, female child phenom. Um, and so she was, like, this super, super successful female fighter, but she's at the end of her trajectory based on, like, standard female Muay Thai fighters. Yeah, I um, feel like no one would have been surprised if she hadn't made a comeback after having a baby. Totally, totally. Yeah. And she, she uh, married her boyfriend, who is one of her um, like, training partners, like, he's a gym mate, um, I think they've been together, like, six or eight years, like, a really long time, um, but I'm, he's actually fighting on the same card as me on Friday, which I'm really excited about, he's the main event, I've never seen him fight before, um, but it's, one, it's exciting because she's got all of this experience and kind of this, um, very true, female Muay Thai lifestyle of Muay Thai. Um, she was trained by her uncle to some extent. Um, I met him at a fight maybe like a year ago and he thought that I was other Sylvie um, <laughs> because Sylvie Charbonneau fought Sao Sing um, when Sao Sing was still like 45 kilos, so maybe like 14, 15 years old. Um, and so he thought that I was her because my name's also Sylvie and I'm small. So he's like, oh, you must be the same girl. And I'm like, I'm clearly not the same girl. Um, but it's... It's an interesting comparison to um, Dakota, who is from the UK, and she's like 16, 17 years old, and she's on the launching pad for what her career is going to be, whereas Sao Sing, when she was 16, 17, um, was fighting Iman Barlow, who at the time was like 19, and it's just the like balance of where that career starts and ends is so different between Thailand and pretty much anywhere else. Yeah, Dakota uh, Dicheva, she's uh, Lisa Howard's daughter. Um, 
Uh, Lisa Howarth, she was like the, one of the first female world champions in Muay Thai. Um, and it's, so it's no surprise that her, her daughter has turned out to be this like child prodigy fighter. But um, I think she just had her ninth or tenth professional fight and uh, she's undefeated professionally so far. She just had a, a big fight last week or two weeks ago uh, versus Emma Bragg who I think she's 23 or thereabouts who she's been on the, on the UK Muay Thai circuit for a, a long time at the top of her weight class which is like 50 kilos mm. and uh, Dakota just just beat her for the ISKA British title so she's got that yeah, now. She's going to be fighting Amy Purney on the next Yokao show um, which is a fight that I think a lot of people are really excited about because Amy's got a lot of experience and she's like one of the top of her weight class as well so Dakota she's only 17 and she hasn't actually been on the scene for that long but she's so far so it's pretty exciting to see her go up against some really good competition. Are you familiar at all with um, with Amy's style? I've seen like highlights of Dakota, but I've never seen a full fight of hers. But she's so long; like, she's she really, is really long. Really long, yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with with Amy's style, no. But um, Dakota, she most of her fights they, they don't go the distance. Um, when she fought Emma um, last week, there, there there wasn't a video released of it, but from from the written reports, it seems like she she gave Emma two eight counts and then finished her in the second round. We were stopped in the second round with knees, I think. Has she grown up uh, training with her mom, or is, are they at the same gym, or how does that work? Her mom has a gym called uh, Northern Spirit in Manchester. Um, and yeah, she's been training with her, with her mom there. Yeah. So it's a little bit of the Thai style, in that like your family is kind of who uh, works with you in and gets you in the sport, and kind of like it's part of the family lifestyle as opposed to like bringing your kid to karate class when they're four or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and she's been bringing Dakota out to, to Thailand quite a lot. Um, and they're, they're over in Sweden at the IFMAs at the moment. Um, actually, Dakota, she's still fighting in the, in the junior, in the junior the part of the competition. I think this is the last year that she can do it. But um, she actually, she would have been fighting at 51 kilos, but apparently there was nobody in the in the 51 kilo female juniors and there was nobody in the 54 so she's actually fighting at 57 which is way above her, her actual weight but she's really long so I think she's gonna do really well still. So has she has she not fought yet? It's They haven't gotten to that part yet? No I think it might actually be today or tomorrow that she's fighting hmm. so I'm excited about that. Well good luck to her for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dakota actually she's been on a lot of uh, uh, British uh, news outlets at the moment. She was picked up by a couple of magazines and she did something for the BBC. I think it was uh, The Mirror, maybe, that did an article on her being like the next Ronda Rousey or something, which it's amazing <laughs> when people do this. It's like it's not even the same sport at all. <laughs> but she's also a woman, Emma. Yeah, right, <laughs> and therefore that's the same thing. <laughs> the next Duchess of York. Yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I actually, uh, very coincidentally, um, Kevin will download uh, like like magazines for me, um, and it's just like a packet. So it's like it's like Good Housekeeping, um, O Magazine, and then there will be like Glamour and things in there. And I think that in like a 
a British L. Um, they talked about Dakota at the start of an article that was about the importance of mental training for women. It was very cool. I was like, I know who that girl is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was in Elle magazine yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. She's That's been getting awesome. a lot of attention recently. Yeah. And uh, she did the BBC did some campaign called Body Positive that mm -hmm. she was a representative for that too. So yeah, lots of stuff happening for her. Nice. Dakota actually also she got a Young Sports Person of the Year award in England. We have this thing called the, the Pride of Sport Award, and uh, I think it was really cool that she won that because I I wouldn't imagine a, a Muay Thai fighter winning something like that usually. Mm -hmm. These kind of awards you never see Muay Thai in there. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really really cool. She's got a, um, she's got an appeal to her that seems like she could help to bring Muay Thai more mainstream, mm -hmm. um, because she's already getting attention at this age, and she's kind of like, uh, I guess, bridging different age groups. Uh, being yeah. 17, she can get the younger group because she's actually still kind of coming out of that, and then, um, you know, she is actually fighting... Uh, adults and people whose names are probably more familiar in that circuit already, so it's good. Yeah, it's been very difficult to find opponents of her. I know when uh, she fought not long ago, I think it was a, a show called The Main Event. Uh, it's quite a big show in the UK. I think it was for that one. That, um, whatever opponent she got kept dropping out, and then in the end they had to fly someone from France who was much older and more experienced than her. She still won. But, uh, yeah, apparently it's very hard to get opponents for her. Nobody wants to fight her. Um, how long has she been professional? Um, not very long, I feel like. I, I, not more than a year, I don't think. And this is like her... She in... Yokao will be her like 7th, 8th? I think it's like the 10th. That's pretty good for a year, 10 fights. Yeah, yeah she's been doing really well. So the theme for this podcast is overtraining, um, which is a slightly controversial issue, uh, more controversial when I write blog posts about it, apparently. <laughs> um, uh, but so we'll, we'll talk about the uh, pros and cons or existence of. Um, so I've, I've written blog posts about my disbelief in overtraining, which uh, really pisses some people off and really inspires other people. So I think it's actually kind of a good uh, balance to have both sides of that. Um, but ultimately, the reason I think it's an interesting topic to discuss is that um, I find it really simultaneously funny and like disheartening that people can Google overtraining and it'll tell you like not to train more than two hours a week or something. <laughs> like, yeah. It's this very weird unscientific thing spoken about on scientific terms um, that irritates me. Uh, so my main thing that I try to convey when I'm saying things that are very controversial about my disbelief in the existence of it um, is that I don't think that there's a formula that you need to abide by in order to understand where your limit is. I think that you just need to discover your own limits and then be very mindful and conscious of how you play with those lines and, and try to push on them. Um, but I have heard from uh, people who are very, very sure 
um, that they are suffering from or have suffered from overtraining and that it's uh, dangerous to tell people that it doesn't exist because you can really hurt yourself um, through uh, injury or like chronic fatigue and things like this. Um, so, um, so, so what's your take or your experience with overtraining? Um, I can't really say I've experienced overtraining too much and, and as, as you said I don't, I don't think that there's like this one formula like don't train this much or you can't exceed this amount of hours a week. I just, I just think it's, your body feels different ways at different times and sometimes I feel like I can just train forever and other days I feel shitty and I just keep my I feel at that time, but I, the, I think there are times when you have you have to like listen to your body and know that it's time to to chill a bit, and know that when you just have to push through it, it's just a case of listening to your own body. I don't think that you like you said you can Google it and get a formula for how much you should or shouldn't train that will apply to everybody. Yeah, this is um, this is something that I find curious is that um, people absolutely do experience the symptoms that are attributed to overtraining um, and when you do have things like that like you're unmotivated, you're depressed, you're starting to get sick um, if you're training at a Thai camp you're coming in contact with so many people a lot of people are travelers like you are gonna get sick yep. um, you know periodically while you're training and you're pushing your body really hard and things like this so when you are experiencing things like that, um, what do you do to help with your recovery? Because it seems like the overtraining advice that I've seen online and from coaches is basically go lay inert on a bed for like two weeks. And, and that to me doesn't make any sense. Like rest is a part of training. Yeah. Um, and I think active recovery is really, really important. When when I, if I take like a, a week out, for example, which almost never happens, but when it does, like I don't feel any better for it. Mm -hmm. um, and even like, if, for example, when you have a fight and you come out of it and you have like a lump on your shin or whatever, you can't kick on that leg. If, if I just don't kick on it and don't touch that leg, it doesn't get better. <laughs> and then I just can't kick on it for months. Um, but if, if uh, you know, you treat it, you massage it, and you ice it, and you do all the things that you're supposed to do, it's, and it, it gets better, you know? Mm -hmm. But it, I think, I feel like that's how it works with, with training all the time. Like, you don't necessarily need to stop training, just train differently. Just yeah. do something else. Yeah. But just doing nothing, I feel like, just sets you back. Mm. Um, I feel like... Most for, of the time. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like for me... A day off here and there, but... That's the thing, is that sometimes there are days when all you can do is sleep. Like, you just, yeah. you shut down. And you're not going to feel awesome the day after that. Like, it's not like you hit reboot and you're great to go right after. Um, but I think that there's a, a mental danger to thinking that if you uh, go too hard or too long or any of these things, that you're going to be doing kind of damage to your body that... Uh, limits you in a way that you can never make it to that level like if you if you do 50 extra kicks today you're gonna be completely hurt like you're gonna pull something or whatever and 
I do think it's true that when you've been working really hard and your body's exhausted and you're really taxed, you can injure yourself by uh, making stupid mistakes um, or, you know, literally taxing your body in a way that it, it kind of reaches a point where it just needs to kind of calm down. But I don't think that that happens with any kind of frequency that you would have to worry about it. Like... I can't do these kicks because I'm going to pull a muscle. Like, you, you pull a muscle by not warming up enough. You pull a muscle by running mm -hmm. a marathon and all these things. Like, by not knowing what that extra mile is, the answer is not to never run more than that mile, you know? Um, yeah, you, you're never going to get better at it just by not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that if in the way that I can like Google around and see people give these very unscientific uh, prescriptions of how you should deal with overtraining, which is you know, like uh, never do more than this number of hours or the moment you feel uncomfortable, you need to stop and, and go over and all this stuff. I think it's the same way that doctors, especially in the US because we really like to sue people, um, they have to protect themselves. So if, if you go to the doctor and you have some kind of um, you know, lump or something, and they look at it, and it's highly unlikely that it is cancerous or malignant or something, like very, very low possibility. They're still going to order the MRI, because if it does end up being something malignant, it's negligence on their part that they didn't order it. And so you end up spending, you know, like billions of dollars per year on tests that you don't need. And I think that this is the kind of prescription that's being tossed around online and by coaches who really want to like know what's best for their students in a very like overarching way. Um, and I think that it's up to us to really know ourselves and experiment for ourselves and see where all of those lines are. And so my kind of like, if you could Google what Sylvie's answer to <laughs> overtraining was, um, I think I would say do not listen to anyone else, including me, um, about what your limit is or what your possibilities are because it drives me nuts that people are like you can't do this and people are like why okay do you think it was, why do you think it was that some people got so so irate about that post I think it's because people for whatever reasons which can be mental can be physical and probably are a combination of both hold on to this idea that they need breaks and they need rests and those people do need breaks and rest, that's real, but they're attributing it to something that's beyond themselves. That's like, if I overtrain, these things are going to happen to me, and what I'm saying is threatening the story they tell themselves about why they need that. Um, I know for myself, there are times that I really just need to shut down, and a lot of times it's emotional, and I probably don't want to recognize that it's because... I am emotionally fragile and need to take some time off. That's me. I'm not saying that other people, that's what their deal is. But I would totally rather attribute that to I'm starting to get a cold than that I can't handle facing my trainer today because he pissed me off yesterday or something. You know, yeah. like if I acknowledge what it actually is, um, it kind of makes me confront things that I'm uncomfortable with. And so I'd rather have something that's beyond myself that allows me to take that rest rather than just owning it and being like, I'm going to take this rest because I need it. Um, and I think that the people who don't get pissed off at me, like they don't get emotional about it, but they just tell me I'm wrong. I like those people because they own that shit. 
And they're like, yeah. nope. They're like, nope, I need, you know, every third day off. But it's, like, not a question. Yeah. Like, they own it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think some people maybe get the wrong idea and feel like you might be saying, like, I'm better than you because I train all the time and you don't. Yeah. And <laughs> that's really not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's all about just training differently. Like, even, like sometimes if, if I've got, like, a cold or whatever, and I'll, I'll come down and say to the trainers, hey, I'm just going to run today because mm. I don't want to get everybody else sick. And I think they really appreciate that rather than just not seeing your face. Yeah. Um, and even little things like that, um, like the trainers take note of it, you know. Yeah. Just just do different stuff. Like I, I was getting really bored um, with my training uh, towards the end of last year. Um, so I just I decided to do a half marathon for some, a different challenge, mm. you know. Um, and that really worked for me. That yeah. It pissed the trainers off because uh, I was running all the time. They're like, why are you running so much? Kick the bag. Uh, <laughs> but I just had a different goal. And then I uh, started working on, like, strength training instead. And I got the same thing, like, stop lifting weights so much. It makes you slow. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just needed a different challenge. Even if just for, like, just mentally, it, it helps a lot. I think. Yeah. I think also in... I'm told I hate saying this out loud because it sounds so like new agey or whatever but in this modern world with like all of our technology and whatever blah 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 like when when people come to Thailand and they're training full-time you're training a lot of hours a day like you're training you know six hours a day which is a lot that's way more than you're gonna be training in the West it's like totally going from you know zero to sixty but even if you're training that much, you have a lot of downtime. Like, people who live here for a long time, like you, who have a job, you have this other thing that you're doing that your job is making you exhausted and you're cutting weight while trying to teach and all of these things. And people have that back home, but they understand that it's that they're working and training and that this is really exhausting. When you come here and all you're doing is training, and then you have all of this, like, downtime in the middle of the day, people don't realize that that in itself can be kind of exhausting like you try to fill that time with um, playing video games or going to the mall or trying to sightsee and all of those things are not actually restful so you're like I've been laying on my butt all day on my rest day why am I not feeling better I must be overtraining rather than I've been lying on my butt all day and it's not actually relaxing to be Netflix binging <laughs> as much as I enjoy it it's not restful um, and so they they misattribute their boredom to the demotivation to training uh, because they think that they're overworking and it's you just need to totally rework your priorities I think um, and it's the same thing you were saying about active rest like you really need to see it as part of your training like you need to be aware of it and mindful of it and like I'm really bad I know that I need to go get massages to take care of myself and sometimes I'm just like way too lazy to do it and so I won't go, and the hour that I spent at home resting instead of going to get a massage, I now feel less recovered than if I had just, you know, gone out and actually worked on it a little bit and felt like shit the next day. <laughs> I do that all the time. Like, after training, I'm like, I'm going to get a massage today, or I'm going to go get in the pool today. And then I shower, and I'm like, sit down. And I'm, no, it's no. not happening. It's just not, I'm not putting clothes on again and going outside. No. <laughs> I need this nap. Yeah. <laughs> it is important to make sure you do that stuff. Yeah. 
for sure. But I think that you're you're keyed into something really important about like when you kind of get into the monotony of training and you're starting to get burnt out. That's is a mental burnout. So if you want to yes. then go do a half marathon or start weight training or you're like um, I'm gonna change up my training. Not only are you getting a little bit more variety by by changing it up and kind of breaking up the monotony, but I think that you're way more motivated, and all of us are way more motivated when we're the directors of what we're doing. You know, a, a lot of people come here and they want the drill sergeant approach. They want people to tell them to do 50 push-ups, otherwise they won't do it. If you're like, I'm gonna jump on the tire today, if it's not something you normally do, but you're like, I'm gonna start jumping on the tire, you will fucking love jumping on that tire because you told yourself to do it. It's like, um, self-direction is, is super motivating. So, you know, finding those things to kind of, uh, entertain yourself or, or, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to trip my opponents or something. It really gives you something to focus on. I feel like most of the time it's just a mental thing. Yeah. I hate how much of it is mental because mental is actually really difficult. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's hard to fix. Definitely. <laughs> but it makes a big difference. Like uh, the when you can kind of like start to grasp it and and make those differences, a small mental change will have so much bigger changes in what you do than if you like actually you know turn your kick or whatever. <laughs> Um, in our second episode, we introduced this feature where we, we started talking about what we're into offline and outside of Muay Thai. Um, somehow we forgot to do that in the following episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start doing that again now. Um, so you were just regaling me, but you probably have to give a slightly edited version of this amazing book that you're reading. <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I started reading this book called Dice Man um, because somebody left it at work and I just picked it up. Um, I, I can't recommend it but it's just it's very interesting because it's, it's about this, this psychiatrist guy who he, he makes every decision in his life by rolling, rolling some dice and putting a different option on the dice. Um, and it seems like it should should be a, a good concept, but it turns out that the the author is just incredibly misogynistic and narcissistic, and um, every female character in the book um, is just it's just very stereotypical. He every every female character in the book is just there for him to have sex with, <laughs> uh, and there's nothing else to it. Um, I, I, I've got 200 pages into it and I know that it's terrible but I have to finish it. Um, I do not recommend it to anyone um, <laughs> but that is what I'm reading right now. <laughs> it's, it's odd because this book is uh, basically the uh, psychiatrist form of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Every woman is really only there for your pleasure and you roll the die to like see what the outcome of any situation is. It's actually D&D in book and psychiatry form. <laughs> I can't say I, I know anything about Dungeons and Dragons, but that doesn't surprise me. In the, the first thing, the first thing he did, uh, the first option that he, he, when the first time he rolled the dice, it was like, if it rolls a one, I'm gonna go and uh, rape my sexy neighbor. So 
Um, he does that, and then she's like, no, and he's like, I'm here to rape you, and she's like, okay, but my husband won't like it. And then, <laughs> and then they start like a consensual affair um, for like six months, and now I'm at the stage where she's pregnant with this child. Um, so yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Please tell me you're reading something better than this right now. I am not reading anything better than that right now. Uh, but uh, Kevin and I just finished watching this series that came out of a movie. So um, Soderbergh is this Canadian uh, director who does kind of weird movies. And he made a movie called The Girlfriend Experience about a high-end escort. Um, and it stars Sasha Gray, who is a former, maybe current, I don't know, former porn star. Um, but the thing about Soderbergh is that he just really loves this, like, kind of deadpan, cold, uh, atmospheric, like, no emotional connection that seems like really bad acting, but then you, like, get into it, and that's basically the character. So they took that movie and turned it into a series for stars, spelled with a Z at the end. Um, and it was actually really, really good. So it's the same thing. It's, it's about this woman who's a law student in Chicago, and she uh, becomes an escort, uh, not really because she needs the money, just kind of because it entertains her. Um, um, so uh, the, way that it's, the way that it's, like, written and directed and kind of the, like, cinematography of it is just this, like, it's taken the coldness from the movie and expressed it in the architecture and like the surroundings and then she's she's just kind of an emotionally cut off person but it's it was really good it's really good at having like cliffhanger endings even though it sounds super not like it would do that um, and then on top of that the way that you're like constantly uncomfortable <laughs> the way the way that she should be but isn't because she's kind of emotionally disconnected um, that was a really really good series for us uh, just now, and now we're watching a, an anime um, that's kind of like a mix between zombie apocalypse and uh, steampunk or something. Okay. Well, it was interesting you were saying about your escort show because uh, you just reminded me that recently I went to this uh, this museum in Bangkok. It was like the it was advertised as like a, a museum for of, of sex work mm. in Thailand, um, and. It was this this foundation called Empower, and the whole thing is um, empowering sex workers and uh, getting them education and safe places to work and stuff like that. The museum was really, really interesting. They have lots of print uh, in some in Chiang Mai and some near the borders where they uh, they educate sex workers and they go out and they do. Uh, events to raise awareness of contraception and things like that. It's really interesting. They actually, in the museum, they had this boxing ring. And I was like, oh, what are they doing with, with Muay Thai? And they had this, this bag. And I thought that they, they were training, training them to do Muay Thai. Uh, but they weren't. They said they were teaching the, the philosophy of Muay Thai uh, to sex workers. As, as a, It really didn't make sense to me. She was saying, like, oh, sex, sex workers need to defend themselves uh, and fight uh, different stigmas and things like that. Uh, it didn't make much sense to me, but when I researched it online, it turns out that they, they, they went to um, this conference, uh, it was like a HIV AIDS conference somewhere in Asia, and they did this show um, where they highlighted all these different issues 
that sex workers face like lack of labor laws and things like that and uh, police raids and and uh, social stigmas and then they had they had like one person choose an issue and then put on some boxing gloves and then a sex worker they'd have to like spar them as and it was like a some kind of performance as if they were like fighting that issue it was really quite funny did they have video of these they didn't i wish they did um they, they got some photos online i'm actually working on a post on it right now um, in the, the museum, it didn't ex explain it very well at all, but on their website, they had more information about it. It was really, really strange. <laughs> Performance art is always a little <laughs> bit strange. Well, yeah. Are you listening to another podcast at the moment? Well, okay, so Emma, Emma convinced me to um, look up The Sword and the Scale, which is a true crime podcast um, that's really intense. It's in like its third season and it's got 60 plus episodes um, and they're all true crime and it's Emma warned me it's got a little bit of like spooky music <laughs> like sound effects yeah. and stuff um, that I actually buy into like it doesn't it doesn't really bother me that much but the thing that became really intense for me about it um, and I really love true crime is that they have actual real 911 calls which uh, hearing people's actual like fear and desperation was really freaking me out and when I listen to podcasts is first thing in the morning when I'm running <laughs> so yeah same. I decided I can't listen to that podcast then anymore so now I kind of do it when I'm like shopping or like driving around on the bike between stuff um, but it's it's really well produced if it's just one guy. It's, like It's great. I am so obsessed with it. Actually, I'm really excited to, after we finish doing this, go out and run and listen to another episode. <laughs> um, but yesterday I had a funny experience with this because uh, I went out running and I wanted to kill uh, Bjork, if you remember Bjork. Um, and I, I was just listening to that while I was running. And I knew that, that, that Two had gone out to work out too, but I didn't know that he was running. And he came up behind me and scared me and um, which would have scared me in, in any case but when I'm listening to this like creepy true crime stalker podcast it really did not go well I was so upset with him uh, he was like you shouldn't listen to this scary stuff while you're running which is probably true but I still do it but I'm really obsessed with that podcast at the moment it's really really well produced which one are you on because you're going backwards I, I was going backwards uh, I listened to the brand new episode yesterday um, which was about this lady in uh, Detroit. It was quite a famous case. Um, who she was being evicted from her apartment, and when they evicted her, they found the bodies of one of her, two of her children, in the freezer. Mm. It was awful. Um, so yeah, it was a story about how she killed them and why she killed them. Um, but I'm going back to the beginning now. Yeah. So on my run today, I'm going to listen to the the very first episode. I got really upset because this is the kind of thing that upsets me, um, but I was really into the TED podcast, um, so like oh. they take TED Talks and put like a bunch of them together on a single theme, and they've changed their host, which you'd think that because uh, the concept of the podcast has not changed at all, I should still be into it, but I really dislike their new host, <laughs> and I'm like... Uh, I'm trying to weed oh, really? myself off of it. I keep trying, like maybe I'll just get used to her, but I, I don't like the way she talks. <laughs> I've never listened to that podcast. 
It's good. It's uh, it it depends on what their theme is, but in general, they pull it together really well, and it's usually about you know like creativity or um, inside the human mind or potential or things like that. Oh, okay. I'll check it out. Well, I guess I'll check out the earlier episodes with the old host. <laughs> um, did you get a chance to see uh, Fight Valley yet? No, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll save that for another time when you have seen it, but. Go see Fight Valley in wherever you people are whenever it comes out. You go see that movie. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All right, so we are sponsored by Loblo. Uh, this is my female groin guard. They also make male groin guards. And you can get a discount by using the promo SAVE2, the number, I-T-K. And you order through Amazon.us or Amazon UK. Um, and they ship anywhere in the world. So... Um, use that promo code and order a low blow and it, Emma and I highly, highly recommend that every woman who does any kind of sparring or fighting gets one. Um, you really don't know what you're missing until you get nailed really hard in the junk and it's like the worst. <laughs> Alright, see you next time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>